Jesus, I am resting in the joy of what thou art. Jesus, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I guess I have to speak up louder here. I'm on. Thank you, Lydia. The theme of that song, those words there, tie in perfectly for what we're going to talk about this morning. Resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. What is God? Who is God? And why can we rest in him? We rest in him by knowing who he is, by knowing what he is. In our series of We Believe, last week we looked at the doctrine of God, what we believe about who God is. And as we've been continuing in this series, last week we looked at what we believe, and this week we continue, we live. And as I began to think through this and typed up the bulletin with the title for the message today, I put, we live, the true and living God. And I thought, hmm, that might sound blasphemous. And in some ways, if you don't understand it, 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 it would. But when you understand the wonder of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, when you understand the wonder of what it means to have the fullness of God. Indeed, we can live the true and living God. You see, it's not just a doctrine that we say we believe, for that doctrine will change our life. It will make it so that we can truly, from our hearts, sing as Lydia sang, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. And the more that we know who he is, what he is, you know, the more, the more we can rest, the more that we can glory in his greatness. Our statement of faith as a church regarding God declares this. We believe that there is one true and living God, creator of heavens and earth, and that in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, equal in divine perfections and exercising distinct but harmonious operations in the great work of redemption. We looked through this statement carefully last week. And this week, I had wanted to go through and to seek to apply it in our personal lives. And as I began to dig into it and to think of the different aspects, especially that little word there or phrase, divine perfections, you know, as I began to think through the attributes of God, I was overwhelmed. How great our God is. And overwhelmed of how glorious it is that what He is, who He is, is intimately tied to what I am and who I am 
especially as a believer, especially as a Christian. Who God is makes a huge difference as to who I am. But at the same time, as I consider the glories of being created in His image, I am also deeply humbled at how frail and weak I am, how little I know, how weak I am in strength. But then I consider my God. He holds divine perfections, divine attributes. He is omnipotent, which means He is all-powerful. He is omniscient, meaning He knows everything. You know, the longer I'm around smart people, you know, like my wife, the more I realize how I don't know a lot. You know, the same is true as we get to know our God. The more we're around Him, the more we realize how little we know. But at the same time, it's not discouraging in that case in any way. Why? Because He is one who seeks to bestow wisdom and to give wisdom and to give knowledge. In fact, as we get to know Him more, the more that we actually know of all different realms of life. We'll never be omniscient. But oh, how incredible it is to recognize and to know that our God knows everything. And then when we struggle and we feel that we know so little of how not just information and facts, but also of how to live, of what to do, when we recognize and know that God knows everything, and not just that He knows everything, but that He created everything. My kids are growing in mathematics, and we keep wondering why mathematics are the way they are. And you'll hear me continue on this theme because it happens to be a little bit of a theme in our house. God's the one who created mathematics. And every time we get frustrated with it or struggle through it, I sit back, and it, I, didn't, I wasn't this way when I was a kid. So I'll tell you as I'm now grown up older, because now as I, sometimes my kids come to me with a question and I say, go ask your mom. <laughs> and I struggle through it and I sit and I go, wow, God. Those times when I'm tempted to feel so small or to feel that I can't do it are the very times when, when I have a knowledge of my God causes me to praise him. And so those things that frustrate me causes me to turn back and say, wow, God, you're awesome. And it's such a privilege to know that he is one who will help me. He'll help me. And now you might think, well, what's, this is the big question we have with mathematics. What's the use? Yes, I've asked the question too. I saw some of you, I could tell some of you are in the middle of mathematics and you're wondering that question because some of you just smiled at me. Yes, what's the use? Well, in those moments, it still can cause us to sit back. And if for no other reason, it is a reason to glory in our God. You ever think of that? In the midst of the frustrations and exasperations, we can glory in our God. But I'll tell you, the more that we know our God, the smaller that we feel. And I wonder if that's a healthy perspective of life. Really, the more that we know our God shouldn't really make us feel smaller. It should actually make us feel bigger. Why? 
Well, because we are but made of clay. Dust we are and dust we shall return to. How much is dirt? We sweep it up and we throw it out, right? Dirt's of little value. If we were to calculate all of the actual intrinsic value of what we are made of, um, I think somebody estimated at one time of, of very, 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 very little, if anything. Have I not been on? I hope you all hear me. Very little. Our value is of very little intrinsically. But for the fact that we are made in the image of God, the fact that he loves us, the fact that we are his treasure makes us priceless. Priceless. So the more that we learn of who God is, no, no. The evolutionary perspective of life and perspective of who we are degrades our value. When in reality, we are of great value. And the more that we may know about God and the smaller we may feel really ought to be the reverse. But only if we know God, we will not feel small, but we will experience the greatness and fullness of God in us. I began looking here, and last week we spent some special time on the true and living God. We spent some time on the aspect of He being and the, uh, and the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and their different functions in the great work of our redemption. And we spent some time on the question of Creator. And so, as I began to come back to this and look at the idea that our God, may I not say idea, the reality that our God, the true and living God, is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And as I began to study the topic of him being creator and how that relates to how I live, it's amazing. All through scripture, we find the declaration of God as creator. But oftentimes, when we find the declaration of God as creator, it is immediately followed up with some way in which it makes a difference in the lives of human beings. Many times in Scripture, we read of ourselves, human beings, of being faint and weary. One description describes us, even the young strong men, who shall utterly fall. We are all weak, but yet we have a God who is not. Do we need help? Yes, we need help. Can I say one way we live our statement of faith, which declares that God is the creator of heaven and earth, is to humbly confess before our creator that we need help. In fact, our creator declared this. Jesus Christ stated in John 15 that without me, ye can do nothing. He didn't say a little bit. He didn't say enough to satisfy most people or even to satisfy him. He said that without him, we can do 
nothing. In fact, in Colossians 1 and verse 16, where Jesus Christ is declared to be the creator, he is also declared there to be the sustainer of all creation. Dearly beloved, we could not breathe if it were not for the creator God giving us oxygen and sustaining our life. We could not live. Our very life, both in the perspective of the believer, eternal life, but even in the unbeliever who experiences the sunshine and the rain and the oxygen and all, would not have life if it were not for the Creator who is also the sustainer. And so, as feeble, finite folk, created in the image of God, a very important step in our lives is to confess that we need help. So where's the help come from? Sometimes children can pick up on this idea because they are ones who need help for just about everything. Just about everything. I, I read a joke, a meme this week that I thought was actually kind of funny because um, I'm kind of right there in the middle. It says that... Um, it was, it was a joke that was made from a, a grandma or a grandpa, an older mom or dad. It says, the next time you complain about having to teach me how to use computers, you just remember who taught you how to use a spoon. <laughs> how true that is. We need help, especially when we're little. And the little ones, oftentimes, you see them growing from the one knowing they need help Longing, but you see them also growing to want to do it by themselves. It's kind of a difficult thing in life because oftentimes we, we should be growing in maturity. We should be growing and learning to do things. It's a great tragedy when we see children who are unable to grow and learn to do things on their own. And so in a sense in life, in the course of life, it is a good thing for you to learn to do things on your own. But my dear friends... If when we grow up, we learn so much to do things on our own that we forget that we need the help of God, we are setting ourselves up for disaster. And so in the sense as we grow and mature, yes, indeed, learn to do things on your own. Learn and grow in stature and in wisdom. Grow in knowledge. But never forget that every one of us, no matter how smart, no matter how strong, no matter how talented we are, we all need the help of God. All of us. And so where does this help come from? It comes from God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 121. I love this chapter. When this truth became a reality for me as a young teenager, and when I took it in combination with John chapter 15, where Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, it changed my perspective of life entirely. You see, sometimes in life, this is a big problem. We look at our failures. We look at our shortcomings. We look at how small we are. You know, that's dangerous. But for some people, it's the only thing to look at. 
or if they have something else to look at, it fades away at some point. So when we acknowledge that we need help, where do we look? Well, if you look at verse 1 of Psalm 121, the psalmist here declares, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. Now look up at me before you read the next verse. Tell me, how are the hills going to help this guy? Oh, I saw some of you look down at your Bible. Wait, 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 wait. How are the hills going to help this guy? Huh? He says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills. From whence cometh my help? Hmm. That's never helped me. I've never seen a hill help me. In fact, hills oftentimes make me feel weak climbing them. Right? So how do the hills help them? What's the point of the hills? Oh, let's look at the next verse. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Do you know what is being declared here? What's being described here is a man like me, like you, who needs help. problem seems big. The issue is insurmountable. It seems as big as Mount Everest. Well, looking at Mount Everest, how's that going to help you? It's not going to. In fact, you might find in some circles, in some places, where you'll have motivational posters on the office wall, and you'll actually see Mount Everest, and you'll have some inspirational statement about conquering the highest mountain as Mount Everest is the highest mountain. You know, that can be helpful, having that motivational poster on the wall. Because here the psalmist, I think the psalmist might have had that motivational poster on the wall with a picture of Mount Everest. He didn't have it, but you know, it, it would make sense. Only if it was to remind you who created Everest. I mean, we think that the greatest achievement in mountain climbing is to climb Mount Everest, right? That's nothing compared to creating it. I mean, we think it's big stuff to climb Mount Everest. Imagine being the creator of it. So you know how you might want to modify that poster of Mount Everest? You can leave whatever the quote is on it as long as it's appropriate and biblical. But be sure to add on to it, my help cometh from the Lord, which made Mount Everest. Our help comes from the creator of heaven and earth. This is a reason why the psalmist could lift up his eyes to the hills. It was, a, it was more than just that in the historical context of this. There was a situation in which oftentimes in battles, you would long for the reinforcements. If you were down there in the Jordan Valley or in the Valley of Megiddo, and there was an issue and there was a battle going on in that place, reinforcements you could look and see, and they would come over the hill crest of the mountain. You could see them coming to your aid. You could see them coming. And so that's kind of a parallel of what is going on here. But see, the point is, is that it's about the Lord. 
And this isn't some weak God. This is the one who created heavens and earth. And so do you see why in that song we could sing Jesus resting, resting in the joy of what thou art? In those moments in which we are helpless and weak and frail, we can look about us at creation, all of creation, and we can glory in the fact that my God created all of this, and he is my helper. He'll give you that strength, which is why you can then sing Jesus resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 has a glorious declaration of who our God is. And it also acknowledges who we are. Who we are. God asks a question. Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal? saith the Holy One. This is along the phrase of what God is, who God is. Who will you liken me to? Who is my equal? Think of the strongest, the greatest. Who? Notice here Isaiah declares, saith the Holy One. What does holy mean? Holy means to be set apart. What God is basically declaring here in this, he's asking this question as the Holy One, the one who is set apart from everything, for he is the creator, although also sustainer of everything. There is no one, there is nothing that is like him. He is equal to nothing. No one can even come close to him. He can hardly be likened to. Says the Holy One, the one who is set apart. He's asking a question to know him. He wants us to know him. Do we know him? Again, our statement of faith is not just the statement of faith that we read to make sure of sound orthodox doctrine. It is a declaration of, of statement of what we believe, but it also should be changing of how we live. We believe that he is the creator, but do we live that he is the true and living God who is the creator? If we live it, it will change our lives. Do we know this holy one? Do we know that there is none like him? Do we know that there is none equal to him? When this question is asked, look at what is admonished in verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number he calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power. Not one faileth. Do you know what the admonition here is? In those moments when we want to consider and want to know who God is, and need to know who he is, the admonition here is to lift up our eyes on high. And do you know what's next described? are the heavens, the heavens. We look up and we see the host of stars. We see the sun, we see the moon, we see the glories in the skies. 
And it is God who created all of this. He is the one that brings out their host by number. You know, astronomers to this day continue to discover new stars. <laughs> we haven't even begun to count the stars in the heavens. You see, hear him. He's the one that brought them out by number. Every one of them he stretched forth into the heavens as one stretches open a curtain. He created them. Now, I mean, we and our smartest people are, are, are counting the stars. Meanwhile, our God, who is our help, is the one who created them. Not only does he know the number of them, he uh, calls them all by name. Did you know you can go certain places? There are certain, I think they're gimmicks. I don't know how real it is or any legitimacy to it, but did you know you can, have, you can give a gift to somebody by naming a star after them? You can name stars. They have so many, num so many stars that, 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 that you can name a star after a loved one, and then you give them a certificate that they have a star named after them. Isn't that exciting? God has already named them all because he created them all. And he's named them all. And it says here that this is by the greatness of his might. He did this by the greatness of his might. For he is strong in power. Not one faileth. And so, when we want to know who is like God, who is equal with God, we look into the heavens and we see those stars. And what should that cause us to do? To worship our creator. You know what else it does? And worship often accomplishes this in our lives. It causes us to realize how much we need his strength and need his help. Verse 27 is interesting. Isaiah 40, 27. The question is asked, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, or speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. We might sit here in judgment of Jacob and Israel. This is speaking of the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. This was written in a time when the nation had already been divided. In fact, written in a time when the northern kingdom had already been carried away captive, which is interesting that Isaiah acknowledges them. That's an important piece to God's covenant-keeping promises. But Israel, Jacob, they ask, they say, my way is hid from the Lord. And my judgment is passed over from my God. In those times when you behold the heavens, you may be tempted to think, who am I? I'm a nobody. Do you know what's being said here? That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Do not ever think that your way, your life is hid from God, that he doesn't know you. He doesn't understand what you're thinking. 
Oh, the thoughts may come into your minds. You may be tempted in this way. I have been tempted in this way. It's in those moments that, again, we have to look to the stars. Not because they're gods. They're not. But because of the one who created them. It will change our perspective. For the truth is that our way is not hid from the Lord. And in cases when we find injustice, God sees it. The judge of all the earth sees it. He'll do us right by it, though it may not be in this life. God sees every struggle that we have. I'll tell you, you may come to me and tell me a struggle you're having in your life, and it may sail right over my head. I may be so distracted, I don't even catch it. You know that's not true with God. You don't even have to go to God to tell him your problems you're having. He already knows them. In fact, if you don't believe me, look to the stars and go, wow, our smartest people are still counting them. He did that all at once as he created them. He knows my way. He knows my uprising. He knows my downsitting. No matter where I go, I cannot flee from his presence. He knows me. He knows everything about me. And not only does he know me, he cares about me. He cares about the struggle that I have in my life. He cares about the pain that I have. He cares about the sorrow I have. He cares about my joys. He knows everything there is to know about me. And when I doubt it, I've doubted it. Many a times I've waken up at night troubled by something. Do you know one of my favoriteest things to do? Is to go outside and to worship the creator of the stars. Totally changes our perspective of life. My problems become really tiny and my God becomes really great. Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. I love that there because that's not actually just talking about the time that he created them. You know the ordinances of the heavens, the whole system? We talked about this some time back. We can predict the very precise millisecond that the sun will set from a particular elevation and location on earth. God is so precise and is so faithful and so consistent. It's not just that he created the heavens, but their order and their structure, and as they move across the sky, is faithful. This is the God who truly does know my way, who truly knows judgment in my life, who truly will be my help. And don't take my word for it. Look at verse 28. For a question is asked of those who are tempted to believe that their way is hid from God, who are tempted to believe that justice has passed from the eyes of God. Ask yourself this question. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. 
there is no searching of his understanding. Your God is everlasting. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. He is the I am. He's not going anywhere. This morning we learned about Nebuchadnezzar. He appeared on the history of, in the scene of history, and he's gone. He thought he was the king of kings. He thought he was the golden stuff. He was. But only in a short time of span. The creator of the heavens and the earth, he is everlasting. He is. There is no beginning or end to him. He is the Lord, the I am. And notice here again, the fact and the reality of him being the creator is declared here again as the motivation to Jacob, to Israel, to us, that our way is not hid from him. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Those places we haven't even explored yet, he created them. And he doesn't faint. We read in the creation history that in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth and all that in them is, and on the seventh day he rested. Did you know that he didn't rest because he was fainted? He was winded or tired? No. No, he doesn't faint. He rested to prove that he was done and to set a model for us because we're so weak. He knew we needed rest, and so he set it as a model for us of six days of work and one day of rest, but he doesn't need to rest. He doesn't faint. He is not weary. He is strong. And then look here. There is no searching of his understanding. Oh, meditate with me for a moment on that statement. There is no searching of his understanding. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Have you ever longed for someone to understand you? To understand your pain? To understand your sorrow? Sometimes even to understand your joys? Have you ever longed for people to understand you? Let's put it in a different way. You ever struggled to understand mathematics? Oh, I'm back at mathematics again, I know. You ever struggled to understand it? He understands everything. In fact, we can't even begin to scratch the surface in searching and comprehending all that he understands. Not just about the how the heavens move and how all creation holds together, but of the inner workings of our very own hearts. He knows us so well, there's no searching of his understanding. He understands your way so much that what you think you know about yourself doesn't even scratch the surface of what he knows about you. He certainly does know your way. And he knows when judgment is passed over. He knows what's right. Now look at verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. 
Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now, I hope these scriptures are an encouragement to you. But can I tell you why the doctrine of God is so vitally important? If you did not know what God was, you could not read these and say, Jesus, I'm resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. Because if we did not know that our God was the creator of the ends of the earth, if we did not know that he is one that fainteth not, if we did not know that he is never weary, and if we did not know that he knows everything and there's no searching of his understanding, then this promise would be very small. If I were to tell you, I give you power, and I give you and increase your strength, some of you would look at me cross-eyed, and rightly so, because you've seen me weak, and you've seen me frail, and if you haven't, you know I am. But here is why the doctrine of God is so vitally important. When we read and we observe and we know this promise, it's about who God is. What makes this so incredible is who God is. It's the one who's making the promise that makes this so incredibly powerful in our lives. He, the creator of the ends of the earth, is one who is promising to us to give power, to increase strength, to renew strength, that we can mount up with wings as eagles. We shall run and not be weary and walk and not in all of our lives, he can give us the strength that we need in the moment that we need it. Does this promise mean that we'll never be tired? Oh, no. I went to bed tired and I woke up tired. But God's given me right now strength to stand before you to share these truths. In the times in which we need the strength to obey, to do what he wants us to do, he's ready to give it to us our simple role is to wait upon him. Waiting carries two significant, significant meanings or applications. We think of a waiter. What does a waiter do at a restaurant? They are standing by ready to meet and do whatever you need done. At least the good ones are, right? The parallel is similar. And oh, by the way, it's in the served time. We wait upon God standing ready to serve him, to do what he wants us to do, and to do so in his time. We need to wait upon the Lord. In fact, actually, just as a little sideline, we focus sometimes here on the, on the, the increased strength and the renewed strength and not being weary and not fainting, let me tie in some other balancing scriptures. Did you know that the Lord also gives his beloved sleep? So don't stay up and eat the bread of sorrows and not get the rest that he longs for you to have. That's one of the ways he gives you and fulfills this promise in a physical way. 
But even when the sleep isn't able to come, he will still, in his way, in his time, in what we need, give the power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increaseth strength. I hope and pray that you've all experienced this. If not, spend some time meditating on these truths, meditating upon who your God is. And in those moments of weakness, those moments when you are frail, look to the hills. Consider the Creator and remember this promise as you wait upon Him. He's the one who gives the power. He's the one who increases strength. He's the one who renews strength. He's the one who makes us to not be weary, to walk and not faint. The doctrine of God, the creator of heavens and earth, do we live it? Do we know what our God is, who our God is, so that when we reflect on who we are as small people, do we see how much we need him? And then in that moment, do we lift up our eyes to his creation, seeking and looking for the help that only he can give? For without him, we can do nothing. Let us worship. Let us wait. Let us trust. Let us serve. And when we are weak, trust him for the strength and the power. Let us not faint in well-doing, but be faithful, for our God is faithful, who has called us. He will do it. We but simply trust and obey. Gracious God, wonderful God, almighty God, creator God, you are our God. You are our help. You are our strength. We need you. May we love you with all of our heart, our mind, and strength. May we rest in you, hope in you, and trust in you. May we be able, as we know more of who you are, to say, Jesus, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. May we find that rest. May we find that joy. And we know that it is in you. Dear God, we are weak and frail and small, but we hope in you. We lift up our eyes to the hills to the heavens, to all creation, and we marvel at your great power, your infinite wisdom. We acknowledge you as the one whose understanding is unsearchable. We acknowledge you that you faint not, that you are not weary. When we are tired, when we are exhausted, may we deliver our problems up to you and find rest, and strength. Lord Jesus, 
Each individual here today, each family has different troubles, different trials, different joys. I thank you that you understand each one. And I pray that today, each one here, myself included, would surrender our problems to you, would deliver them up to you, and turn our eyes upon you and find this joy and peace. Give the strength exactly when and how is needed. We rest and rejoice in your grace. We need you this day. And so we praise you and worship you as our God, our creator. We love you because you first loved us. And we humbly bow before your mighty hand, trusting that you will lift us up in your grace, life, and goodness. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.